Всі ці вулиці просто відбито На моєму обличчі Хтось будує свій шлях із цитати Йому це не лечить Як знайти себе серед людей Чи варто шукати Бачу сльози, не бачу життя Такий собі бартер, правда? Правда чи ні? Як розпізнати до сміх чи до гнів? Моє моді не мається хрис Стрічкою вгору я падаю, падаю вниз Падає меседж В мене їх безліч Люди та зали Майки та звуки тепер Що ховає за масками кожич Оріжинал кави Welcome back guys, welcome back to another episode of the Act Protecting Games podcast. I'm your host, Chase H, CEO of Act Protecting Games. This is Alyana Alyana, one of the hottest Ukrainian hip-hop artists out today. Guess what she used to be? A kindergarten teacher. <laughs> she sounds great. Thank you, Aliana. You know, it's so cool how other countries have really adopted the hip-hop culture and really made it their own. I think it's awesome. I was doing some research about this podcast, and I stumbled upon her. She is one of the hottest, if not the hottest, artist in the Ukraine right now. And that's what we're talking about today. Today's episode is entitled APE Current Events. We're discussing the Ukrainian-Russian border crisis, okay? So every week, I'm going to do an APE current events episode, okay? Because I want us to stay plugged in with events all around the world. Shout out to all my international listeners. I have a lot of international listeners. We love you guys. Thank you for tuning in. So as as an American, I want to make sure I stay plugged into what's going on around the world and it could affect some of our soldiers that are based in Europe it could affect our armed forces and I know a lot of you guys have family and friends who are in the armed forces today so God bless them they're heroes thank you for their service we hope that this does not escalate into a armed conflict because that will draw in other countries and it will be a disaster so that's why I'm bringing kind of awareness to this I want to I want everyone to be aware of what's going on so they're not taken by surprise when all of a sudden it says war breaks out in Ukraine. I would hate to see that. So we're going to talk a little bit about the history. It's not going to be long. I had a really long outline kind of prepared, but I figured I'll just make it very simple. You know, just hit the bullet points. And, um, you know, because all we need is a really general idea of what's going on. Okay. All right, guys. So we're going to start in 2013. All right. 2013. Now, to be honest, the story really starts after the Second World War, okay? As we all know, we beat the crap out of the uh, out of Hitler and Nazi Germany, out of the Germans. The Soviet Union played a huge role in this. They uh, were the first to Berlin, and along the way, they established a bunch of satellite states, right? Communist states. And with the Cold War and then the fall of the Berlin Wall, okay, that kind of marked the end of the Soviet Union, the USSR. A bunch of different territories and states splintered off from Russia, from the main body of the USSR, which was Russia. They splintered off and they formed their own countries. And Ukraine was one of them. They got their independence in 1991 after the Berlin Wall fell. 
and they really had trouble shaking off Russian influence, right? Russian influence was still everywhere, okay? Highly corrupt government because the Russians kept trying to interfere. You know, they created a lot of puppet governments around Europe, and it's hard for small new countries to kind of break away from that influence. And at this time, you know, leading up to 2013, the Ukrainian people became more and more frustrated. They accused their government of uh, human rights violations, of abuse of power, of being extremely corrupt, um, of being kind of in the pocket of Russia. And they were. The president, Viktor Yakunovich, uh, he was in the Russian's pocket. Um, and in November of 2013, he rejected a deal that was offered by the European Union to bring Ukraine into the fold, right? So this would really, really help Ukraine break free of Russian influence, right? Being part of the European Union was huge. It was a huge opportunity for the Ukraine, and the people fully supported it. They were on board. They really thought that this would be a chance for them to be heard, right? Because being a part of the European Union, it brings eyes, it brings more economic opportunity, it brings cultural ex uh, you know, exchanges back and forth, it brings a little bit of freedom, right? Pro progress, that's what you want, you want progress, right? However, the president refused to sign the agreement, he rejected it. So, what happened? The people were fed up, widespread protests broke out all across the city, but it was really focused in the capital city of Kiev. The state did not respond well to this, okay? They sent in riot police, they sent in the armed forces, and they violently cracked down on the protesters. All right? There was an incident where 130 people, well, it wasn't in one incident, but 130 people over the course of a few days were killed, including 18 riot police. This only made things worse, and it made the protests even bigger. Isn't that crazy? So, Transparency International, actually, a uh, side note, had voted the president of Ukraine as the most corrupt leader in the world, right, at the time. So, you, the Ukrainians were really, really tired of seeing their country going down the toilet because of corruption. It, it, you know, it, it was just a matter of time until the protests really began to get out of control because of all the frustration, okay? On February 21st, 2013, an agreement between President Yakovich and leaders of the par or parliamentary opposition was signed in a call for an early election and the formation of an interim unity government. The following day, the president fled the Capitol right before the impeachment vote. Okay? Once he fled, protesters took over Capitol buildings. They flooded Kiev, downtown Kiev, in the, in the uh, town square, and they started celebrating. The president was relieved of duty by a 328 to 0 vote in the parliament, which is insane. So the opposition party rose up, the people rose up, and they. They made their voices heard. There was a downshot to this, right? 
Remember, Yakovich was in the pocket of the Russians. So what does he do? He runs back to Russia and he complains and he, he, he moans and he groans about how the vote was illegal, it was coerced, and it was invalid. Guess what Russia does? Russia agrees with him. They take his side. So they consider the overthrow to be an illegal coup, and they refuse to recognize Ukraine's inter interim government. In March of 2014, right, so a few months passed, right? This is over, these protests happen in the course of a year, okay? So throughout the entire, from November 2013 into March of 2014, there's protesting, protesting. They do the vote. They impeach the president. They form an interim government, right? They talk back and forth with Russia. Russia decides to not recognize them. And he, they take the side of the former president, all right? And in March of 2014, this really hits a, you know, reaches a boiling point when Russian troops took control of Ukraine's Crimea region and they formally annexed the peninsula into the Russian Federation. And this is after, in a highly disputed local referendum, Crimeans voted to become part of Russia. So there were still areas of Ukraine that wanted to be part of Russia. There were still areas of Ukraine that supported the former president and really wanted Russia to take over. All right, and that was in mostly in the southeast and the and the um, eastern portions of Ukraine. There's a lot of pro-Russian separatists in those areas, especially in Crimea. So Russia decides to take advantage of this, you know, crisis, this, you know, unstable condition that Ukraine is in. They take advantage of it as they usually do, right? They really love destabilizing, and what they do is they, they help destabilize the region, then they move in and claim things, right? They, they start taking stuff, and that's what they did with Crimea. They used an excuse that they were concerned about the rights of Russian citizens. So Russian President Vladimir Putin, he cited the need to protect the rights of Russian citizens in Crimea and southeastern Ukraine. This crisis, all it did was inflame already existing ethnic divisions, okay? Two months later, pro-Russian separatists in these regions held a vote to declare independence from the Ukraine. So there's two parts of the Ukraine that decided to declare their independence and they were backed by Russia, right? So they have Russian support and they were like, you know what? We ain't part of y'all no more, right? We want to be Russian. We love Russia, down with Ukraine. Remember, guys, Ukraine used to be part of Russia. So there's always going to be some loyalist elements, right? Just like during the American Revolution, there was a lot of loyalists, right? There's there's still a lot of Americans that want to be part of England, right? That happens. That's natural. But the problem was that it was all influenced heavily by Russia behind the scenes. That was the problem. They didn't do it on their own, right? Violence in eastern Ukraine between Russian-backed separatists and the Ukrainian military has killed more than 10,300 people, and it has injured approximately 24,000 since April of 2014. So since April 2014, they have been fighting. There has been you know, sporadic fighting 
between the Ukrainians and Russian-backed separatists in southeastern Ukraine, all right? And they're going back and forth. I remember I read an article um, on, in Coffee or Die magazine, which is the publication of Black Rifle Coffee Company. And if anyone doesn't know that, I, I really, really highly recommend you read their magazine, Coffee or Die, right? It was talking about the stalemate at the border. You know, there, there's, well, no one's at the border. It was in the southeastern era of Ukraine where there's there's a stalemate, right, between the pro-Russian separatists and Ukrainian military. They, they literally are still conducting trench warfare. They're lobbing mortars back and forth. They're spraying artillery. They're shooting randomly across across the uh, the uh, no man's land that separates the two forces, and you can see Russian vehicles driving back and forth. Right, Russia will never be out up in front, but they're behind the scenes. But remember, guys, we're talking about the crisis that's going on right now. This is 2014. What's going on right now is just 2014 up to now coming to a head. Right. So now Russia is like, okay, Ukraine wants to be part of NATO now? No, first they signed a European Union deal. Now they want to try to be part of NATO. Now they want to side with our enemies, right? That's not happening. So they've sent 175,000 troops to the border of Ukraine. Okay? What they're doing is they're, they're flexing their muscle. They're saying, look, we want concessions. We want different security structures you know in in nato we want more influence in the region whatever they're trying to grab stuff right they're threatening violence right and this all leads back to this situation let's go let's go on Let, let's keep moving i went on a rant there sorry guys moscow has denied involvement but despite this ukraine and nato have reported a buildup of russian troops and military equipment in this region and also cross-border shelling all right like I just said, in July of 2014, the situation spiraled out of control and put the European Union and the U.S. at odds with Russia. What happened was a Malaysian Airlines flight was shot. I don't know if you guys remember this. This was a big deal on the international stage. A Malaysian Airlines flight was shot down over Ukrainian airspace, killing all 298 people on board, including women and children. This was in July of 2014. The Dutch... Air accident investigators who who came in independent investigators who came in and wanted and needed to determine the cause of the crash. They concluded in October of 2015 that the plane was actually shot down, and it was shot down by a Russian-built surface-to-air missile. All right. So if there's any doubt, any questions about Russian involvement in the Ukraine, it was answered with with those. With those investigations okay so there's always been rumored there has been speculation people have seen russian vehicles and officers with russian patches on but no one can really really point to anything that was hard evidence right and russia always denied it right it was a proxy war but once they found that uh surface to air missile that they said was built in russia that's when stuff really started to come to light right in september of 2016 it was determined that the missile system was in fact provided by the Russian government and investigators determined that the system was moved back into eastern Ukraine and back from there into Russian territory following the incident. So what they did was they swept it away like, yo, let's get this, 
let's get this missile out of here. Like, let's get this missile system out of here, bro, before someone traces it back to us. So they determined that it was a Russian-made surface-to-air missile, and mysteriously, the Russian missile system vanished, and it was rumored that the Russians kind of whisked, whisked it away back to Russia under the cover of darkness. Hmm. Since early 2015, France, Germany, Russia, and the Ukraine have tried to stop violence through the Minsk Accords. The agreement includes provisions for a ceasefire, a withdrawal of heavy weaponry, and full Ukrainian government control throughout the conflict zone in uh, eastern Ukraine. But the efforts have failed. They cannot meet a diplomatic solution the pro-Russian separatists won't back down. The Ukrainian government definitely isn't backing down. So they're at a stalemate. They had been at a stalemate. This is in 2015, all right? NATO. NATO gets involved, all right? So remember, quick recap. We started in 2013 with the protests. They impeach the president of Ukraine. They kick him out. He runs to Russia and says, no fair, no fair. Wait. Starts crying. Russia says, this is bullcrap. We don't recognize you. More protests go on. Protests, protests, protests. Russia invades Crimea, claiming that the Crimeans voted to become part of Russia and that it was a legal, legitimate vote and that they were there to make sure Russian citizens were safe. 2014, a plane gets shot down. It's determined that it was Russian, uh, a main missile that did it. Meanwhile, the pro- Russian separatists in eastern Ukraine are fighting against the Ukrainian government in a kind of quasi-civil uh, war, okay? This is 2016. In April 2016, NATO announced that the alliance would deploy four battalions into eastern Europe. They would rotate troops through Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, and Poland to deter a possible future Russian aggression in Europe, particularly in the Baltic region, Okay. The battalions were joined by two U.S. Army tank battalions, and they were deployed to Poland in September of 2017 to help boister the, de uh, the deterrent presence. All right. So at first, they were just NATO troops, and they were just going to you know, rotate them through different countries. And then they asked the U.S. for help, and we sent some tankers over there to help kind of put some meat into the NATO forces. All right. And what we wanted to do was prevent Russia from just running amok through Europe. And that's why we're there. That's why the American bases are in Europe. It's really to prevent aggression from mo mainly Russia, right? Mm. Ukraine has been targeted in a number of cyber attacks since the conflict started, FYI. In December 2015, more than 225,000 people had lost power across Ukraine in an attack in and in December of 2016 parts of the capital Kiev experienced power blackouts following an attack against a Ukrainian power company the next year in 2017 Russia and this was attributed to Russia attacked the Ukraine causing billions of dollars worth of damage right it was a cyber attack traced to Russia, actually officially traced to Russia. Now, we're in the present day. So we went from 2013 to 2016. So that was kind of a cliff note timeline of what's going on. Now we're in the present day, 2022. 
2022, right? Just a just you know the end of 2021 into 2022, Western intelligence agencies have warned that Russia is contemplating an invasion of the Ukraine with 175,000 troops. Russia has moved over 100,000 troops to the border and also into Belarus. And while they're doing this, they're amping up the propaganda campaign, right? They're flooding the airwaves. They're flooding the internet with propaganda. They're spreading false and outrageous accusations against everyone, pretty much. The Russian foreign minister has blamed NATO for the return to a nightmare scenario of military confrontation. How are you going to blame NATO for that? And I think they blame NATO because NATO wants the Ukraine to be part of NATO. So now Russia's like, well, it's NATO's fault because the Ukraine shouldn't be part of NATO. And it's like, why? It's like, well, well because they shouldn't. Because there's Russian citizens in, in, in Ukraine. And, that, and if they become part of NATO, they're going to be part of our enemies and we won't be able to protect the Russian citizens in Ukraine. So it all kind of... <laughs> It all kind of traces back to Russian influence, right? They don't want to lose their influence over Ukraine. And they're afraid if Ukraine becomes part of NATO, that they won't be able to meddle anymore or as easily as they used to. The Russian defense minister claims that the U.S. is smuggling tanks with unidentified chemical components into Ukraine's eastern region, which is not true. Putin has threatened military action unless NATO agrees to his demands. But despite all the tough talk, most reports indicate that Russia is not planning to invade the Ukraine. Reports from the Critical Threats Project indicate that the cost of an invasion is much too high for Russia to sustain. So basically, this is a power play, right? They want to make some demands and they want to see if they can get what they're asking for, and they're going to use military force as a bargaining chip. Rather than invade, experts believe that Russia intends to further destabilize the country in advance of its elections, station troops in Belarus, divide NATO, and get some concessions from the West in exchange for de-escalation. So you use your military as a tool to get what you want, right? And then if you get what you want, then you agree to pull the troops back when the troops should have never been there in the first place. But since you have a big, powerful army and no one wants the region to be destabilized, right? No one wants to see bloodshed. That's what Russia's counting on. They're counting on the world to be like, okay, okay, hold on, Russia. What do you want? Just tell me what you want, right? So we're going to have to see, keep close, you know, keep close ears and eyes on this so that we can stay tuned in, all right? According to the Atlantic Magazine, which I, which is my source, so I have two sources, by the way, the Council on Foreign Relations and Atlantic Magazine, okay, which is both internationally acclaimed, verified, legit sources, and respected everywhere, all right? According to the Atlantic, even without invading Ukraine, the threat is still dangerous to America and its allies, specifically in the Baltic states. Because guess what? Russia is demanding that NATO accept a different security framework for, for Europe. And they insist that NATO abandons any cooperation with non-NATO nations. Here we go. Power play, right? Balance of power. NATO on one side, Russia and its allies on the other in Europe. Who's going to have the advantage? And that's what Russia is afraid of. With NATO 
extending an invitation to Ukraine, the balance of power is now off, right? Things aren't adding up for Russia. Russia loves to destabilize regions it has interest in. Quote, Russia's intentions is consistent with the country's preference for hybrid or threshold warfare, the fusion of disinformation and political, economic, and military actions designed to immobilize or weaken adversaries without triggering an effective response. Let me read that again. This is from the Atlantic Magazine. Quote, Russia's intentions is consistent with the country's preference for hybrid or threshold warfare, which is the fusion of disinformation and political, economic, and military actions designed to immobilize or weaken adversaries without triggering an effective response. Let me let me break that down Barney style. style. Barney style. What Russ is trying to do is do everything they can without actually firing a shot to destabilize the region and get what they want. That's that's basically what that's saying. They're using the military as a club, right? They're holding this big club over your head and they're grabbing you by the shirt and they're saying, if you don't give me your wallet, we're going to club you with our military. So just imagine a big old bully, right? Or a robber or whatever, big old guy grabbing a little, little old man with a huge club over his shoulder and saying, Give me what we give me what we want. Give us what we want, right? With their military as a club, right? That's what Russia is doing. They're threatening the Ukraine. They're threatening NATO by moving troops through the border, all right? So we're gonna have to keep an eye, keep some uh, ears on the ground and eyes on this, and let's pray and hope that no violence breaks out. Uh, you know, this was a uh, just a really really quick. Recap of the history in leading from 2013 to now um, is brief. It's, it does not cover everything because I do not have time. I could write a book about this, but I just want to hit on the main points. So I want to do a podcast every week about current events. Um, I'm going to do my best to get it out, to, get it out to you guys in a simple, easy to understand format without too much talking. I just want to hit on the main points, guys. I really appreciate you guys tuning in. Um. Thank you so much for joining me. The next podcast is going to be lit. All right. We're talking Rome, which is one of my favorite subjects. All right. So keep tuning in. We're going to close out with Ayana Aliana, the kindergarten teacher. Right. God bless you guys. Put God first. Put your family first. Stay positive. Get after it. Work hard. Eight. Out.